0: Hey everybody! Welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast, uh, where we talk about all kinds of business leaders and everybody from scientists to uh, to stars and in other industries. I, I'm running out of thoughts here. Tim, help me out. The crew
1: won. What do we do? The MLS Cup. And oh, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. For they, now. The crew did win, <laughs> and that's
0: really exciting. So yeah, welcome to really and to go from to go from not like wondering if we're going to have a team to now having a team that won the whole cup. Like, yeah, it just wild. shows
1: how much we should not have been in jeopardy of being sold. Right. Uh, so it's yeah, for, from eighteen months from oh no, we're not gonna have a team to win in the whole thing. It's mm-hmm. like it's incredible. I mean, there's so much there we can go over, but it needs to be a thirty for thirty, and then it right. needs to be an Emilio Estevez muddy duck style. Who do we who do we have
0: to get on the show now from from the crew? Like oh wh-
1: Caleb Porter, is Caleb next, Porter, one hundred percent that it's the next. Um, uh, he's he was a coach at Akron in Ohio, mm-hmm. turned the team around, won some some titles, some natties. That he went to Portland, mm-hmm. turned the team around, won a MLS Cup. Actually, here it wasn't
0: Portland in like, in we Columbus. Yeah. yeah, they beat so, us here in our own stadium. I know, and weren't we playing them? So, no, no, no. We no, Seattle Seattle, Seattle yeah, they're Sounders. Pacific Northwest they're close. Team. It's all up there, and the you yeah, know, yeah. all the way Who over cares there? about those states? Green teams, right? Yeah. So then, I don't
1: know anybody who's from the West Coast. He won a uh, yeah, definitely not San Diego. <laughs> So he won a championship at MLS Cup there, and then came here and won one. So That's he's wild. he has been on an epic run. When he came here, he said, "I'm here to win cups," and he did it. So mm-hmm. he would be a personality that would be awesome.
0: Well, okay, <laughs> listeners, you're out there. If you know someone at the crew that we need to talk to to get a hold of, uh, get a hold of Alex, then reach out to us. No, you said Caleb, right? Caleb, yep. You, Gosh, you know that I don't <laughs> like. So if it's not obvious, I don't follow soccer very much. So sorry, I follow. Forgive me, for both of us. Forgive me, people. Don't skewer me on in the comments, but. <laughs> Uh, today on the show, so we're talking with uh, Alex Davisar today and Alex Alex is, yeah, that's where it came from. And we'll use that as an excuse, but, and Alex is the founder of Outturn and, uh, they do some really cool stuff. So he, you know, he got the idea as a student in Ohio state and they're working with a couple different universities now, kind of really just hitting the stride, um, in that early, early startup stage, looking to do a raise of some funding. So I had a lot of fun talking to Alex, man. He was, he was a very interesting guy. and, And I think that, uh. You know, I'm excited to see where Outturn goes from here.
1: Yeah, he's a young guy. Very, uh, It's very inspiring to see people that, that young getting into it.
0: So Yeah, man. he's I mean, he started it while he was still, still in college. He's still in school now, right? yeah. He's, you know, and so well, it'll, be, it'll be great to follow their story and see where they go from here. And, you know, we were just talking to somebody who's saying, EdTech's big right now. Well, Outturn's an EdTech. So, yeah. well, I hope you guys enjoy this episode, of course. And uh, we will be right back. This
2: is Conquering Columbus. They're conquerors. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams.
0: I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, on board bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little
2: bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer.
1: There's one guarantee in this world and that's
2: hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. comfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. By Latanya CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this
0: genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest
2: humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants.
3: One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24 7, 365.
0: This is
2: Conquering Columbus.
0: Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Mike. We got Tim and Josh here in the studio with me today, and uh, the group's all here. How you guys doing,
1: dude? Really well. We just had a solid little uh, strategy session. We have a lot lot of free information beforehand, so I feel about robots. No, I'm talking about this. uh, The conversation we just had that that you were a part of.
0: Oh, (laughs) you call that a strategy session? (laughs) I don't know. Our strategy session was talking about how you feel getting out of your car. And the different types of loans you can do. And apparently,
1: apparently. That, I mean, that was a lot of information, though. That, you would take a long time to learn all that.
0: Things I didn't know. You can get an FHA loan, first-time homeowner loan, literally as many times as you want. <laughs> I don't understand why they call it that. <laughs> Somebody help me out. but The name is flawed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> flawed name. Yeah. So, I mean, but it's, you know, the government set they, it up. They so branded it very, makes sense.
1: Exactly. They've branded very poorly. But, okay,
0: sorry, sidetracked. Uh, today on the show our guest is Alex Davisar and Alex is the co-founder and CEO of Outturn, a revolutionary early careers jobs tryout platform that allows companies to source and evaluate talent at scale and from anywhere through the power of data, video content and remote work. And Outturn levels the playing field by making opportunity more relevant to what candidates do than where they come from or who they know. So we're really excited to have Alex on the team on the on the team on the podcast today. To learn more about OutTurn and where they are heading. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Alex. Thank you for having me. If you have an opening on the team, I'm happy to join and uh, podcast a bit. <laughs> well, there's this problem where we only have four microphones. So I don't know how we would get five people in here. So unfortunately, we don't have an opening. But the if we ever do, fresh out of microphones. you're the first call.
3: You could have let them live a little bit. Well,
0: no. <laughs> you know,
2: I'm,
0: I'm the type of person that's like open transparency is always best. So, but Alex, appreciate you joining us today. Um, typically where we like to start is just get a little background on yourself, kind of your life, where you came from, where the idea for Outturn came from, that sort of thing. So anything you want to start with?
4: Yeah, I think this is a super great place to start. Obviously, there's two sides of every coin. I think there's also two sides to every person. You know, people have good sides and they have bad sides. And I think people that know me today or people that are listening to this episode will probably see a better side. But I do want to go back a bit and provide some context as to where I started because I think that's very important to the story of Outturn and to the story of kind of where we're going with this mission. I was born with a severe allergy to peanuts and nuts. Sounds pretty basic, pretty average. But when you go to a small school, a small private school of 60 kids where everyone kind of looks the same, they dress the same, they talk the same, those differences really stand out. It's really easy to uh, be alienated in those types of places. And so what happened was parents would see that I had this allergy and they saw that the school had to take precautions for taking care of me and they were afraid to have me over. I didn't get invited over to friends' houses much. In fact, you know, I really didn't have friends in the early years from kindergarten, going through elementary school. And that eventually turned into really severe bullying. You know, it was verbal bullying. It was name calling. Um, I wasn't referred to by my name. I was called uh, peanut boy. Uh, people would put peanut butter on me to see what would happen. They thought it would be funny. And I was in a really tough place in life. I didn't feel great about myself. was pretty unhappy. There were a lot of times where, you know, I kind of wanted to end it all. You know, going into high school, obviously I got out of that situation, but you can imagine high school is a challenging time for everyone in a lot of ways. And coming into that circumstance with limited social experience, I always felt kind of awkward. So a time came about sophomore year where I realized I'm a shell of who I want to be as a human being. Uh, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not, you know, a confident person. I'm not really skilled at anything. I wasn't doing well in school. And I really wanted to change that. So I set a vision. I said, You know, if I could be any person on earth, who would that person be? And I made a list of things. I said, I want to be confident. I want to be skilled at things I enjoy doing. I want to be in better shape, more athletic. And what I did is I just began to take action consistently. I would do things. I would fail at them. uh, And then I would go and I would reflect on those experiences. I would read books, watch videos, and just continue the process, continue to improve. By the end of about two years and going into college, I was at a point where I'm at Ohio State on a full ride scholarship. You know, we're building out turn with an amazing team, tacked on 40 pounds of muscle and whatnot. So, you know, that, that was two years ago. Obviously, things have progressed even more since then. But I think. That that experience overcoming that hardship is what allowed me to build the skill set that's leading me on this entrepreneurial journey, as well as an understanding of how to make things happen and how to take a vision and really materialize it.
1: Are you still allergic to peanuts? Yes, I am. I, I don't I think, I think that goes away. I mean, hey, you never know. I just man, I, that was obviously a lot of information. I don't want to belittle it, but just never having eaten peanut butter would, I, I, I man, that would just be such a bummer. Yeah. yeah. That's what when I thought that's, about that. I was that's like, what you got out of all that Yeah. Tip? Okay. Obviously, there's a lot of impressive things, but I was just like, I mean, I felt bad for you at times. I'm very obviously impressed with where you're at now, but man, just never, like, I love peanut butter so much. <laughs> what is, uh, so like for those people who don't understand, uh, obviously you gave a little bit of an idea of what Outturn is. What is, what is it that you guys provide now? Like what's the ideal client and, and what are you guys actually doing today?
4: Yeah. So the philosophy for Outturn came from the first business I built going into college, Uh, Essentially, I was outsourcing design work to other students at Ohio State to help businesses in the Columbus area. And I began to see very quickly that those experiences were very valuable for both sides. Mm -hmm. You have students that are getting a better understanding of their career and of the professional world, and employers that are getting to see talent in a new perspective, uh, getting a much better understanding of how those students work and how they might fit into the business later on after graduation. So really the idea in what we do is we make it easier for employers to assess talent through these job tryouts that can happen virtually. It's all about lifting the barriers to making this happen. So making it as easy and as feasible legally, logistically, and financially, and providing the tools to make this engagement really successful for both sides.
0: Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level. And Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So with a marketplace like this, you probably have a
3: little bit of that chicken and egg problem. So talk about when early days started, like how did you get the ball rolling on that? And then maybe progress that into what it's evolved to today.
4: Mm-hmm. So the technology is still being built, but how we're approaching it, it's called the Trojan horse strategy. So it's not a complete marketplace. It's a bit of a B2B tool as well. Employers are able to invite their own candidates to participate and to uh, complete these tryouts. And so uh, it's, you know, it's more of, at this point, getting employers on board, focusing on that side of the marketplace, allowing them to invite their own talent. And then as that talent joins the platform, you see the other side kind of organically begin to form.
3: What has the feedback been from them, these employers? Why? Why? So, like, when they sit down with you, is there any feedback of like, "Hey, I'll just do this on my own," or are they uh, welcoming the platform and they're excited about it?
4: There's a lot of excitement about what we're doing, even though we're pretty early. We've had a few employers get started with us, um, and beyond that, there's a lot of interest for when we're, you know, ready to get off the ground at a larger scale. Uh, I think the excitement is coming from a reaction to HR tech that exists today you see a lot of automation a lot of use of ai to uh, automate you know processes but the thing is is you can't really predict the success of a candidate with some of these tools in terms of Factors like if they're going to enjoy working at the company, if they're going to bond well with other people at the company, those are things that typical hiring processes don't cover very well. And so they're really excited about having the ability to work with candidates in a hands on way, while also not having to worry about payroll or onboarding uh, or things that would make this type of engagement challenging. So let's take a step back
0: here because I I think we kind of stepped over something, which is you get the idea it, while you're in college, you know, doing that, you know, outsourcing or not outsourcing, but you know, communicating. Almost contracting. What, what's the word? Sub-contracting, yeah, Business yeah. brokering. Deals brokering between. deals, right? Like you're you're contacting people and connecting them with design uh, students to get work done, and you get this idea for this this outturn company. What do you do then? Right? Do you? I mean,
4: are you a developer? Do you just go code your own stuff, or like, how do you how do you get that rolling? Yeah. So I'm not a developer. I come from a business background. Um, The first thing that I really tried to do was find someone I trusted in my network that I could think this through with, try to poke holes in the idea and make sure that it made sense. And that was David McGrath. Uh, He's someone that really thinks through ideas. And uh, he's like a pair of night vision goggles in a way. You know, you walk out there uh, into a minefield in the middle of the night. He's what allows you to kind of see obstacles 500 feet ahead before you can even think about them. What we found is that we couldn't really poke holes in this idea as much as we could Many other ideas that we've had or we've heard other people share. So we we thought through this idea. We talked with people for a long time. We made sure that we were really onto something. And then when we were ready to build, uh, we started interviewing people at Ohio State that were developers. And we found Greg Davidson, who is our CTO, and he really excels in you know communication and leading teams. I think that that's probably the the most core and centric part of having a great CTO. So it really, it was about building the team and then getting that development going. So did you build any type of MVP to
3: reach out to these different employers and test the concept? Or did you go straight into developing a real platform?
4: We did. We made a a small version of the product on Bubble.io. So it's a no-code platform. took us about a week. Um, Our engineers were building the idea because we had a lot of excitement around it from employers to begin with. So we knew that building it would make sense anyways. Uh, But just to have something out there to test different ideas, that's kind of where the Bubble product came in what did that initial MVP product do? It was mostly just a uh, marketplace at that point. Uh, we were mostly just connecting people similar to how I had done it before uh, and providing the contracts. There wasn't much technology behind the idea at all. Uh, for instance, we have skills testing now that we are implementing into the platform. Um, that was not really a part of it. It was just a pure marketplace.
3: So like when you built that MVP and you were, you were selling it to employers, you were showcasing it to them, could they actually use it and work with it and interact with it? Or oh, yeah. was it just like a kind of UI UX tutorial?
4: No, they could actually do work. And we actually got a few projects done. You know, we started with smaller companies here in Columbus. And, you know, I think the first project was an engineering project. They needed someone who could do some development work for them. Uh, and we were able to source a student that's really talented here at Ohio State to uh, get that project done. So how many customers do you guys have right now? So right now we're in a weird stage, Uh, we're still developing, but we're forming channel partnerships. We're partnering with various universities, and that's kind of the the third part of this marketplace in a way. These universities, they're interested in Outterm because we can provide a ton of data to them in terms of how their students perform on skills tests, as well as how they perform uh, relative to other students at other campuses. And they can use that data to adjust their curriculum and adjust their career prep options. So they, we're kind of forming these partnerships right now. Uh, they're providing employers and students, um, and we're kind of just providing the technology. And that's really the focus for spring semester at this point.
3: So they'll actually push the product out to their entire student population?
4: Have they already started to do that? So we are working with a few that are preparing to do that for next semester. That's kind of where things stand with the universities right now. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlet Family Foundation.
0: The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the
4: episode.
1: So are you still in school? Yes. So how how are you, I'm assuming that you're running, you're spending a lot of time on this. How are you balancing the two?
4: That's probably the hardest part. I think our whole team can attest to that because... You know, School is great in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons, but we are definitely finding we're learning so much with actually building a business. There's so many things that you can't cover in a classroom that you can cover by building something. And so there's a lot of incentive to spend a lot of time working on the business. It's a lot of acceleration on one side while kind of falling behind on the other and then switching sides a bit. I think pretty much everyone that's started a side hustle can relate to that, but it's definitely tough.
1: Yeah. It's like trying to ride two bikes at the same time. If you're trying to have like the bike next to you when you're riding it, it just doesn't... It yeah. doesn't go, I mean, it yeah. gets there, but it's just not the most efficient
0: way. Well, <laughs> Tim is the analogy king Man, today. He's all over it today, but I'm actually so like, many,
1: That's like one of my favorite things to do. I'm surprised that that's not something that's been noticed more.
0: You do make a lot of analogies, I do. but I feel like you're just, you're really hitting them, hitting your stride just today. Just in a
1: good analogy spot today. So, how many people on your team
0: are still in school? All of them.
4: All of them. Yes. So, your entire company is all students at Ohio State. How many people are colleges? So, right now we have seven total. Uh-huh. Uh, most are seniors. We have three juniors. Okay. So, That's got to be an interesting, like when you have to
0: schedule a meeting, right? With the company, are you guys doing mostly, most of the work then after, like, are you guys taking night classes or are you scheduling most of your work for our turn outside of
4: class hours? Like, how does that, how does that work? Well, the convenient thing about this semester has been since everything is online, mm-hmm. there's so much flexibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, lectures are mostly pre-recorded and we can just access them whenever. So there's really no set time for class. It gives us the flexibility to work on how when we need to, um, take calls during the business day when we need to, uh, you know, meet obviously when we mm-hmm. need to, and then do school uh, when it kind of fits around that schedule.
1: That's interesting. Obviously, COVID has not been a great thing, but that's definitely something that's allowed your flexibility to kind of work in your favor. For sure. to build while you're doing that.
3: So you talked about some of those lessons you learned that you might not have learned in class or it was hard to learn in school. What are some of those things that really stick out to you that you've learned throughout this process with you and your, your uh, teammates?
4: Probably the biggest thing. Well, I'd say there's probably two big things. Um, and these are mostly soft skills, but one is selling a product getting on the phone with a senior vice president of a Fortune 500 company is not something you can really replicate in class. Obviously, you can you know, maybe simulate it, but it's not the same thing unless you're actually on the phone. So actually getting experience selling things to people, convincing them to listen to what you have to say and find value in something you've created is something you can't really get in school. Another is leadership. So you know, I think our whole team takes initiative in leading certain um, parts of the product and parts of the team. And I think there's something to be said about building something outside of class um, and, you know, leading a team through that process that you can't quite find in class.
3: What are the next big milestones moving forward? I mean, you're obviously trying to finish development. Do you have a timeline when you think that'll be done? And, and what are the big things that you're chasing right now?
4: Yeah. So the biggest priority for us is raising capital. Uh, We recognize that most of our team is graduating in the spring, and we want to continue working on this for as long as we can. We think that this is a really exciting opportunity. So that's been the biggest priority, and we've already seen a lot of success with that so far. Development is probably going to be done within the next month or so. At that point, we're going to test with some companies just before we hit those big partnerships with those universities. And we're planning to get that capital raised by I'd say about March or so.
3: Have you laid out what like an average customer value will look like for you and how you're going to charge both sides in the marketplace and just what the general business model and monetization structure is going to look like?
4: Yeah. So right now it's uh, we're kind of taking bits and pieces of what employers are paying students for the work. So obviously every outturnship, that's what we call the projects on outturn, um, are paid projects. The students are getting paid for their efforts. And we take a, a small percentage of what those students are making. And we charge for the ability for uh, employers to offer skills testing if they're trying to narrow down a large pool of candidates. So if they have thousands um, and you know, really get a, a good understanding of them before they begin that outturnship. And then have you guys seeked out or, or narrowed down how much you want to raise? It's probably going to be about three quarters of a million dollars at this point. Um, obviously, building software isn't the most expensive thing in the world. It's not like physical products where you need a lot of capital to actually build the product itself. Uh, most of that is going towards headcount um, you know, and small uh, development fees and whatnot. Mm-hmm. What team members do you guys think you need? Mostly engineers at this point. Because we're pursuing channel partnerships, I think... We don't need as large of a sales team. Most of that is being done by the founders and by, you know, Areeb, who we brought on uh, on the business development side, but uh, mostly engineers to build the product and get as much done with it, advance it as much as we can. So I have I have a question. Have you guys thought about,
0: you know, where you want this to go in terms of, do you have a vision of an exit plan? Do you have a vision of an IPO, like long-term, you know, what is your
4: goal for the company? Have you guys thought about that yet? Definitely. Well, first and foremost, I think there's so many directions we can take this, especially in terms of the data that we can get from uh, Outturn and from Outturnships as a whole. Um, so you know, we're curious to see, one, what types of projections can we make for careers, for students um, to predict their success in certain roles? So that's kind of the, the vision for the product is, is maybe uh, predicting success for candidates. Um, I think in general with the company, we see this expanding to uh, all careers because previously internships were something that were just done for early careers for college students. I think that remote work and the ability to work flexib- flexibly has opened this opportunity up to pretty much anyone of any age uh, going into any role. So we see this expanding beyond early careers. And then uh, in terms of an exit, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are interested in this that are Um, you know, larger companies. So we definitely foresee uh, either taking this ourselves uh, for a long time, or perhaps being acquired by a company um, that's in a similar space. We're gonna take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
2: Working from home
0: is full of challenges. Online school from home can be even tougher teacher. Don't add to the frustrations with no hot water for showers or laundry or cooking. Clog
2: drains in your kitchens or bathrooms. You have enough going on at home right now. You know who to call. Let the pros at the Waterworks handle all your plumbing and drain cleaning. Call 614 25 today.
3: So if I'm a business company owner, C-level executive listening to this, and I hear about the ability to bring in interns through your platform, why would I find more advantage of doing that versus just picking up uh, maybe like a list from a college of people who are looking for jobs? or, I mean, I don't I don't even know where people necessarily post for internships, so maybe that's the answer. But what, what, what value keeps them on the platform?
4: So it's really not as much about the connection as you would think for a marketplace. That's where a uh, big perception of these types of products has gone before. Um, you look at, you know, things like Parker Dewey, which have tried to do virtual internships. Um, That's mostly geared towards connection. Our value is providing an experience, providing tools that make it really easy to facilitate these relationships. It's much more of an evaluation tool than it is finding students on, say, Handshake or going to a career fair, if that makes sense.
3: So it's not so much the ability to connect them with the people looking for the internships. It's more the ability to facilitate the ongoing project when they're doing it. Correct.
0: And, And evaluate them, right? So like, hey, I have five interns in this role. I can only hire one of them, ideally, right? Like they would be looking at like a pool of interns and saying, which one of these is doing the best? Or how do I evaluate these candidates
4: and tell which should get the the Yeah. And the other aspect of this that's so important to touch upon is the student side. You look at most hiring processes uh, and you see that it's mostly geared towards evaluating the candidate. The candidate isn't getting a great picture of the company, but obviously all hiring relationships are two-way streets. And in early careers especially, we see a very high turnover rate. In fact, about 71% of recent graduates are leaving their first job within one year. So we believe that by offering more of these experiences where people are able to gauge a real working relationship, we can reduce that turnover rate.
1: I was looking through your site a little bit. I noticed Rev1 was on there. Have you guys made any deals with anybody yet or are you completely like self-funded so far?
4: So, so far we've been working with the innovation studio in terms of funding. Um, They provided about $10,000 over the past year. And then otherwise it's been mostly self-funded. We've been Mm -hmm. putting in our own cash. Uh, Rev1 served as kind of an advisor for a period of time. Um, You know, we're still kind of in touch with them and working with them a bit, but uh, we don't foresee going to them for an investment now.
1: Are you guys bringing
4: in revenue currently, or are you still building? We're still building at this point, so no revenue just yet.
3: What is the ultimate goal of an interaction on the platform? Is it to bring that person in as an intern for a set period of time? Is it to use that as a substitute for the period that they would typically intern and then hire them afterwards?
4: Not at all. No. So the idea really is a way to evaluate people quicker in which... Uh, internship doesn't make sense. So there's instances when you're hiring someone where you know maybe having an intern doesn't make sense. Think of the winter, you need to bring someone on. You can't really have someone working as an intern while they're still in class. That oftentimes doesn't work. You have co-ops, but the challenge there is going on-site, figuring out schedules and whatnot. So facilitating remote engagements is sometimes more a convenient way to do it. Again, going beyond early careers as well, Oftentimes, you can't have someone commit to work in an on-site internship uh, for an extended period of time. So, facilitating a remote project to kind of gauge that interaction in a similar way.
3: My question, and I don't mean it in a negative way, but I'm curious, do companies even want interns? Like, if I'm a company, I would think, I don't necessarily want an intern, maybe. Maybe Maybe I do so I can hire them when they graduate and I want to increase my potential. So, that's why I take on interns. But if I have an important project that I want done, I probably just want somebody internally to do it or maybe... I use someone like Upwork, where I know they got tons of experience and they're trusted. So where do you see the most eagerness from both sides to participate in this?
4: Yeah, so we definitely see some people that are interested in the project work itself, but that's not the primary goal. Uh, Again, the most interest is coming from people that understand that really... Internships can reduce turnover exponentially. The risk of hiring someone after you've worked with them for a period of time is much, much lower than if you're just hiring them based off of an interview, off of talking with them a few times, uh, maybe having IO assessments, et cetera. So, really, the most value and excitement is coming from people that are looking to reduce that turnover. Got it. So,
0: here at FMX, right? If we were going to go hire an SDR, let's say, sales development representative, I might. Put the job on outturn and get three or four candidates, have them all do an outturnship for over a course of a week or a month or whatever. And then I'd be able to evaluate them through the program, evaluate their skills, and hopefully make a better hiring decision when I do decide to hire one of them. And that person. Theoretically, would stay longer with my company, would be more successful because we'd run them through those tests beforehand. Correct.
1: I like that. You kind of get a bunch of people, put them against each other, like a Hunger Games. Kind right, of thing. Hunger
0: Games style, whoever, right?
1: Whoever comes out on top, you just hire them.
0: I don't think it's Hunger Games. They don't
1: kill each other. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: hopefully they don't kill each depends other. Depends on what the outturn. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Right. How, on how much money? How, <laughs> I mean, are
0: we? Is this a survival? <laughs> yeah. Job. But so. no. That
1: now that you explain it like that, actually, like that—that that sounds. If I was hiring, it's like, yeah, let's see how you all do in the, in the real application, and then take the best one.
3: So you do envision these companies bringing on multiple candidates for one internship at a time, to kind of benchmark them against each other?
4: Well, it can depend. Primarily and historically, the interest has been for one specific candidate. That's where the skills testing is coming in. Uh, again, replicating the on-the-job tasks as much as possible through those tests to evaluate a large amount of candidates. Uh, really, the individual experience is designed for one person. You know, it can be multiple people, but the concept is mostly to test someone who you have a good idea that could be a good fit within the company, but really to make sure that they enjoy working at the company that you truly are a good fit. So
0: now I do have a question about that because I've been thinking about it. And while I can see why the company would want to do that, wouldn't like, so let's say you've got a good candidate, right? They're probably going to have a couple offers and maybe one of those offers doesn't include an internship kind of test run. Wouldn't me as like someone who's an employee, wouldn't I rather take the job without that test run? So what's the benefit for? the individual, I guess you've kind of already talked about it though. It's getting to know the company, figuring out if the company's a good fit for me and figuring out if I'm a good fit for the work that they're doing.
4: Yeah. So I think a great way to put this is uh, if you were to think back to when you were in college mm-hmm. and everyone's asking you, what do you want to do? Who do you want to work for? You know, you probably had some sort of idea, but thinking back retrospectively, did you really know whether or not you would actually enjoy it? Probably not because you have never done the work. You've never actually been in that situation. And I think that most people who are in college don't quite know what their career entails until they actually step into that role. So getting to work with a company or getting to work with multiple companies throughout Turn for a couple of weeks, for maybe a month or so, that opens up your mind to so many more opportunities and gives you a much better understanding and hopefully can help you make a choice that will make you happier in the long term.
1: Makes a lot of sense. I think it does.
0: Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
2: JME Hospitality, your hospitality design partner. JME Hospitality works with food service facility owners, operators and development pros to improve the overall efficiency of customer experience and the profitability of customer operations. JME has been consulting in the hospitality operations space for over 45 years providing solutions for schools and universities, healthcare institutions, hotels, resorts, and more. They also have extensive experience working within the design, construction, and manufacturing sectors. JME specializes in helping with a variety of different problems, including the COVID effect, redesigning the customer experience to protect their clients and the public during the pandemic. JME is passionate about serving the community you live in. They're doing this by supporting cancer research as well as youth outreach. And JME is offering a free consultation to all Conquering Columbus listeners. Just visit jmehospitality.com. That's jmehospitality.com. And mention the Conquering Columbus podcast to receive your free consultation.
0: Well, Alex, you know, we've got a lot of listeners out there that are young professionals, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial minded folks. Some of them haven't made that leap yet, though. What, what would you say to people who are thinking about it
4: or, you know, thinking about doing something different in their careers? I would say take action. Always take action. I think the thing that I've learned from my experiences, especially uh, being younger, is that you truly don't know what it's like uh, to to achieve a certain thing until you actually try. Right. Uh, and I think Stepping into a spot where you're uncomfortable is definitely the best thing to do. Uh, Perhaps it won't work out. Maybe the idea is going to fail. Maybe you're not actually going to like what you're trying to do. But at least you tried. I think that having an understanding and actually doing something is always the correct move. Perfect.
0: Alex, I think good time to pivot to our last question of the show. It is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase for a show about entrepreneurship
4: and business, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it
0: apply to your life and career?
4: Yeah, I think whenever you're speaking about entrepreneurship, you're talking about doing things that are new to you. Whenever you're founding a company, there's so many tasks you have to perform that are probably out of your realm of expertise. And imagine the first time you went to the gym or the first time you tried something new, uh, you step into a gym, you're not going to immediately start benching to 25, right? You're probably going to feel pretty uncomfortable in that situation. It's pretty much the same thing with entrepreneurship. With doing anything new, you have to be willing to look like a fool to you know, try and fail and learn from those failures to really get anywhere. And I think that if you're not feeling uncomfortable with what you're doing, you're probably not pushing yourself enough.
0: Great. Well, Alex, that's a great answer. And uh, really enjoyed our time talking with you today. Appreciate you uh, coming in here to to chat with the Conqueror and Columbus team. So thank you. Yeah, man. Keep it up. Thanks for having me. Conquerors, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you did, leave a like, share this with your friends, and keep tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.